Hi there everyone, this is Rich, uh, recording from my house in Selyoke and wanting to give a few moments of quick introduction before you hear the bulk of the talk that you're looking for. Uh, in four or five minutes, you're going to get to uh, the story of salvation, uh, a talk from the series Belonging in God's Story that has been going on at Church Central West and Church Central North this term. Um, but before that, I wanted to just explain something. I think that God is doing something around this talk and the themes uh, that it raises. And I wanted to just flag a few things up before you listen. When I gave this talk back in January uh, at Church Central North, uh, it was way before this thing called coronavirus was a thing, at least in our part of the world. Uh, and I promise you this is not a trick or uh, a preacher story or a joke. You can uh, ask anybody at Church Central North who heard the talk. Um, my introduction to this talk went something a bit like this. Uh, I said, have you ever had a period of time where you found yourself stuck inside, stuck in your flat or house, perhaps because of illness or some other reason? Have you ever experienced that? And then I asked them, isn't that such a frustrating experience? It can be really emotionally tough. It can be uh, really hard to go through. It's really challenging to our well-being to get, I guess, cabin fever by getting stuck inside. And then I said this, if you've ever experienced that, you'll know that it is so liberating when after that time you get to go outside and get some fresh air. Isn't it wonderful when you can walk outside somewhere out in the open, maybe uh, the Licky Hills or somewhere like that, and you can just again get some new perspective. You, you get somewhere big rather than the little room that you've been in. You get somewhere that you can see the horizon rather than just four walls. You get somewhere that you can look up and instead of seeing your same ceiling again, you see the expanse of the sky. And perhaps most importantly of all, you get to breathe in this incredible fresh air for the first time in ages. And uh, after that pretty amazing start at Church Central North, I then said this, I think the same is true spiritually. Often we're living our lives and we're doing our thing, we're doing our responsibilities and our routine, but often we get stuck inside the four walls of those things, inside our own story. It's like our experience functions as a room that we get stuck in and it seems to be all that we can see. We're boxed into the ups and downs and joys and struggles and triumphs and traumas of what's going on in our lives. And it's like that becomes all we can see. If you like, it's like we get spiritual cabin fever. And then, and I'll explain why I'm saying all of this in a moment, I said this, what if there was a way to not be locked into the ups and downs of our story but to step out into the clear, beautiful, fresh air of a bigger story, a better story? What if we could step out into the expansive, beautiful story with a, a glorious, vast sky above us and look up and look out and look around and get some perspective? What if for people like you and me, so often stuck in our own stories, there was spiritual fresh air that we could breathe in from a greater story. It was one of the best introductions you've ever heard. 
I'm sure you'll agree. And I was really proud of it. And this was the introduction that I was planning to give this Sunday at Church Central West. But then something happened. Uh, in light of this coronavirus situation and due to getting a few symptoms and a little bit of flu-like stuff, I am now actually self-isolating. I'm feeling a little bit silly about that, feeling a little bit unsure about that. Uh, but I want to follow the advice. And uh, so I cannot come and give my talk with the introduction about being stuck in my house because I'm actually stuck in my house. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying this for your sympathy. I'm quite all right. Thank you. But the reason I am saying this is it does just feel like slightly more than a coincidence. Uh, and that maybe now as you listen to the rest of the bulk of this talk, um, which was recorded earlier in a, a pretty similar talk that I gave at Church Central South, I think God really wants you to loud and clear get this theme that he wants to bring you out into the fresh air. He wants you to know at this time of uncertainty and anxiety and challenge, he wants you to know that spiritually, you do not need to be cooped up, locked in, stuck in spiritual cabin fever at this time. Uh, with all the ups and downs and all the uncertainty and perhaps some of you even listening to this whilst isolating like me. Uh, he wants to take you by the hand and lead you into the fresh air of the good news, his story, his truth. He wants to show you. He say, look up, look at the fathomless expanse of what I've done. He wants to spin you around and show you behind you and in front of you all the lengths to which he's gone to rescue you. He wants you to receive it afresh as fresh air. OK, and I just wanted to bring that to you. I think God wants to use the next few minutes of this talk. that I'm unable to come and give at West. He wants you to breathe it in and breathe in the truth that's in this amazing passage of the Bible. And I hope it does you good. I hope whatever's going on for you in all of this stuff, I hope you're, you're OK and that this does you good. Uh, pick it up in the recording from South uh, when I'm just about to read the passage, which is uh, Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 14. OK, all the best. Much love. So let's look at this passage of the Bible, Ephesians 1, one of the great passages of scripture, uh, and I'm going to read it. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. 
God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. What plan, I hear you ask? And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, so Paul who is writing, is a Jewish convert to Christianity. So we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. Final slide. And now you Gentiles, that is non-Jewish, and I suspect most of us in terms of our background, now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, the gospel that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Now, that passage of the Bible could do 10 years on its own. And I just want us to see three things in 25 minutes about this good news. What's the gospel? What's Christianity all about? What must this church be all about? Point number one, the good news that the Father adopts us. The Father adopts us. I don't know what you think of when you think of God. God, what are you thinking? And that is really the most important thing about you, what you think of when you think of God. And there would be many different visions through the centuries. But Paul tells us really clearly in verse 3. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's God? God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is this scandalous, wonderful, stunning, unsettling, terrifying, in a beautifully rich and deep and scandalous truth that God, according to the Bible, is a father. Christians believe God is father. That at the center of the universe, beyond the horizon and up into the expanse of everything, there is no tyrant. There is no mere creator, though he creates. There is no mere power, though he's powerful. There's no mere big, strong God in heaven, though there's a big, strong God in heaven. There's no heavenly head teacher touching from on high. There is at the center of everything a loving father, the one Jesus of Nazareth lovingly called Papa. Now, my dad is uh, a wonderful man. I think that my dad has given me one of the greatest gifts it's possible to give a human being on this planet, which is that when I hear that God is a father, the way that that has looked for me in my house makes my heart beat with joy. <laughs> God's a father. That's wonderful. 
That's great news. That's astonishing news. And I know that's not the case for many in the room. Uh, I know that one of the most painful things for a human being on this planet is when a relationship with father goes south for different reasons, whatever reasons, whatever that has looked like. And it can be therefore very hard to hear, um, you're a good, good father. How deep the father's love for us. Maybe you feel like you can't get away from this flipping word. <laughs> and now I'm doing it as well. But if you feel tempted to resist the notion of God as father, I want to speak directly to your heart in this moment and tell you that this truth is not bad news for you. This truth is very, 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 very good news for you. You are not to judge God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ by your dad. You don't have to do that. It's not like God is like your dad. <laughs> it's not what it means. It's that your dad was meant to reflect this heavenly father and likely has fallen painfully short. But you don't write off the father because of that. Please. Has anybody, put your hand up, ever heard a bad song? Oh, I've heard some bad songs. I'm a huge Coldplay fan, so I've heard many. Okay. But when you hear a bad song, do you write off music? No. Because music is beautiful. And music makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. And gives you this sense of joy that you never knew you could have just from hearing someone play a cello. And it wells up inside you. And you think, I don't even know what I'm feeling, but I'm feeling something more than I was five minutes ago because there's a cello. And it just wells up and it brings you this joy because music is wonderful. It makes you happy. It makes you sad in a way that makes you happy. It's wonderful. And then there are bad songs but don't write off music. The Father is wonderful. He's generous. He's kind. He's powerful. He's protector. He's provider. He'll never leave you. He never uses you. He never turns you away. He makes the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. He makes us happy. He makes us sad in a way that makes us happy. He makes us feel things we didn't know we were going to feel. Don't reject the music of the Father because of a bad song, right? There is good news. God is a Father, a wonderful Father. And for all eternity, forever and a day in the past, this Father has been utterly captivated with his Son, his boy, the one he loves, so much so that he couldn't keep this love to himself. This is too good. It's too good. I love you, son. Then we've got to share this thing. And so they spill out and create the cosmos and you. And you are not created because God is lonely and needed you. You're created because God is lovely and love. And he wanted you to share in his love. And so he creates the world and everyone in our city and everyone in Beirut and everyone on your campus and everyone you know and you to share in the eternal love of the Father and the Son. 
And then you will not believe what happens. Adam and Eve, which those words mean human and life, that's what Adam and Eve mean. So representative of all human life, Adam and Eve walk away from this father. And they say, no, we will do it on our own. We're okay. Your protector will protect ourselves. Your provider will provide for ourselves. And, and, and representative of all of us and what all of us have done is we walk away from the father. There is this huge gulf between us. We become now in a terrible place to be far away from this father. Estranged. The Bible uses this language, alienated. Distance between us and the father. But here's the good news. Even as we walk away, even as we show no love to him by rejecting him, he could not stop loving us. And he is so good and so moved by holy, generous love that this father says, even though you've walked out of the family home, even though you've shamed me, even though you thought that you could do it on your own, I love you and I will adopt you back in to my family. I will bring you back into the family home to be mine again, says the father. Verse five puts it like this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us back to himself. Now, if you struggle to feel the joy of this, the depth of this, the wonder of this, as this is water off a duck's back to you, uh, Paul tells us three things about this adoption that I think are intended to bring us much joy. Firstly, he says that God planned to adopt you. He planned to adopt you. It's in verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. I don't know who recently hasn't loved you. I don't know who recently hasn't chosen you. But the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, before everything, loved you and chose you. Before you did anything bad, before, I think more amazingly, you did anything good, he loved you, he chose you. He factored in your mistakes, your sin, your weaknesses, your pride. He knew he's God, he knew. And yet he made you. Even though he knew you'd walk away because he loved you and wanted you back in his family. He knew you were going to make mistakes, but he loved you. He knew you were going to make a mess of things. But he says, you are my mess. I choose you and you are mine. I love you. He planned. Before it all, he planned to adopt you. You say, poor God. Poor God has to hang out with, with people like us. I mean, it's kind of his duty because he's God, but it can't be much fun for him. Second thing Paul says, he wanted to adopt you. Verse 5, this is what he wanted 
to do. And it gave him great pleasure. I don't know recently who hasn't wanted you, but the Father wants you. It says he is pleased to have you come back to him. He was pleased to have you near to him. He wants you near to him. He prefers having you with him than not having you with him. He's inclined to you, not because you're amazing, but because he is amazing. There's another moment in the Bible where we hear this idea of a father God having pleasure. And it's at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus goes down into the water. He comes back up. A voice rings out like peeling back the curtain of what's been happening for all eternity. The father speaks. This is my son. I love him. In him I am well pleased. Another way you could say that. He brings me great pleasure. In him, the father says, I have pleasure. And now Paul says that when you come back to God... That same pleasure that has existed for all eternity between father and son. The father looks at you and now he has pleasure in you. That's the gospel. And you say, no way, Rich. No way. Too good to be true. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know what I feel. I'm not good enough. The third thing Paul says about this. He said that the Father adopts you by grace. Verse 6, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us. Grace, Bible word, means undeserved kindness. Undeserved kindness. Which means it is linguistically and spiritually impossible to deserve grace. That doesn't make sense. Now, there's a humbling thing here. It means everyone in this room, I'm sorry to tell you this, you could never earn this adoption. You could never earn this love. There's not been a day of your life where you've been good enough to earn this love. Sorry to tell you. There'll never be a day in this life where you'll be good enough to earn this love. But it brings us great news as well. Because there is, I'm very pleased to tell you, never a day in your life when you have to be good enough to have this love, where you have to become more holy, more righteous, more progressing in the Christian thing to earn the love of God. You could never earn the love of God. He gives it as a gift of grace. He adopts us as his children by grace. As Jonathan likes to tell us, we are not chosen because we are special. We are special because we are chosen by the Father, by grace. My relationship, your relationship if you're a Christian, and your relationship with God if you become a Christian today does not have to be locked in to the heights of your achievements or the lows of your failings. His grace covers my highest achievements, my highest successes, and my most scandalous, inexplicable failings. And all of them are fully accounted for in advance by the Father who said, I will still make you and I still love you and I want you as mine. The Father adopts us. And if you're here and you don't know if you are part of this family, you don't know if you are someone who has been brought back by the Father, you don't know if that that gap has been closed. Let me tell you this. 
I'm not going to rush you today to come back to God. But I promise you this, there is nothing on God's side that will stop him wanting to adopt you. And there's nothing in your past, your present, or your future on your side that could stop him adopting you, except if you refuse to come. But if you say, yes, Father, I want to come back to you. I want to be in your family. I want to follow you. He adopts you by grace. If that's you and you feel maybe today God is speaking to you for the first time and it's landing in your heart and you're saying, I want to come back to this father, there will be a moment at the end of this talk where I invite you to do that. So firstly, after 28 minutes, the father adopts you. But how? How does this work? How can people who've messed up emotionally, financially, with substances, with relationships, with pride, with sin of many public and private varieties, come to a holy, spotless, eternal, pure, righteous God? Surely, he would have to deal with our mess. Surely he would have to punish our mess. Surely we'd have to somehow pay for our mess-ups. And there are mess-ups in our stories. They do need paying for. They do need punishing. We cannot come to God in our mess and in our sin on our own. We can't come to a holy, radiant, spotless, pure, good God thinking that he'll just ignore all the wrong things we've done and sweep them under the carpet. If a local judge did that and heard of a crime and said, it's all right, don't worry about it, there would be outrage rightly. And so, of course, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't going to do that. And so we, in and of ourselves, are desperately in need of saving, of rescue, a solution to this problem. If we stay far from God, because he is the God of life and light and love, what do you have if you're far away from life? Death. What do you have if you're far away from love? What do you have if you're far away from light? Darkness. And if that goes on into eternity, then we need a rescue. And our city needs a rescue. But there's a rescue. Number two, the good news is that the sun dies for us. Verse 7, the father is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Yes, we all have baggage. Yes, we all have mess. Yes, we all have sin that stands between us and God. But we do not have to bear the guilt or the shame or the punishment for our mess ups anymore because Jesus, the son of God, said, 
I will take the guilt. I will take the shame. I'll take the punishment so that they don't have to. And the Father puts the punishment for our mistakes and our mess-ups and our sin onto Jesus on the cross. And Jesus, not having his arm twisted, but willingly, joyfully, courageously, valiantly says, I will do it, Father. I will go to the cross and I will take their place. It is the greatest swap that has ever occurred. It's a little bit like a wedding. Uh, At a wedding, if you've been to a wedding, perhaps a Christian wedding, you may have heard these words. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And then vice versa. And at my wedding, I imagine, various people use this illustration, but I imagine there was a little chuckle because I had just finished a voluntary year as a, in a charity with no income, and I boldly promised Ruth, all I have, I give to you. And everyone's like, okay, that's not a lot. And Ruth, freshly out of med school, said to me, all that I have, I share with you. And I thought, get in. <laughs> it's this swap where everything that's mine becomes hers, and everything that's hers becomes mine because we're now together. And it's like Jesus on the cross, we say to him, all that I have, I give to you. All my mess, all my guilt, all my mistakes, all my regret, I give it to you. All that I am, I share with you. And Jesus dies and pays it off on the cross. He goes down into the grave, having shouted, it is finished. And he rises up from the grave and risen, proving that the Father had dealt with it, had dealt with it for all time. Jesus now says to us, now all that I am, I give to you. Now that all all that I have, I share with you. My Father, your Father. My Spirit, your Spirit. My future, your future. My righteousness, your righteousness. All that I am, I give to you. And all you have to do to get this, to get him. Verse 13, when you believed in Christ, when you simply turn and you say, yes, I want in, I want in. I've got all my, I give it to you, Jesus. I believe. And at that moment, we become adopted by the Father forever. It's the good news. But it doesn't even stop there. It would be good enough if the father up there adopted us and the son back then died for us. But God wanted to do something even more. Number three, the good news is that the spirit is given to us. Verse 13, he identified you as his own. How? By giving you the Holy Spirit. It is not simply God up there. It is not simply Jesus back then. Now, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, it is God in me right now because the Holy Spirit is given to us. God's Spirit, His presence comes to us when we turn to Christ and lives in us. So that whenever we are isolated from friends, family, perhaps for following Christ, God is in us and with us. 
when it is tough to live this Christian life, to live in light of the gospel, God is with us, empowering us. When decisions about being godly are hard, it isn't good enough to have God up there and Jesus back then. I have the spirit in me now giving me power to live for him. At work, at home, on a mountaintop, in a valley, God the Father says, here is yet another gift, the gift of my spirit to live in you. And as we relate to him, or as the Bible, the New Testament always talks like this about being filled with the spirit, it's very often present tense. It's like, keep being filled with the spirit. Go on being filled with the spirit. Always be filled with the spirit. And as we relate to him and go on being filled with him, we experience the truths of this good news dropping from our heads to our hearts. We experience joy all the way through Acts, full of the spirit and joy. We experience courage to send us out into this world with the good news of a father who adopts. And it gives us power, power for acts of faith, power for the Christian life. Now, I recognize the role of the Holy Spirit in the church can be, for those who like to think about these things, something of a bit of a head scratcher, and we can have differences of opinion, particularly those of us who have come to Church Central from different church backgrounds. I recognize that. But one of the things that I absolutely love about this church is that if the Holy Spirit is described as a gift to us from the Father, then we receive him gladly. We take everything he's got. We crave his presence. We pursue his presence. We pursue not just the fruit of the spirit in our character, but the gifts of the spirit in our church, even the weird ones. (laughs) Because he isn't an awkward add-on to the Christian life. He's God the spirit gifted to us by the father. The generous father shared with us by Jesus, all that I have, I give to you, my spirit. And so I love that in this church and we stumble and fall with it and we're all new to it and we're all learning. But we say, this is, an, this is non-negotiable for us. We want to pursue the Holy Spirit. 